I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I head up Hip Hop by the Numbers on Twitter, where I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of The Fifth Element, where I highlight The Fifth Element Hip Hop, which is knowledge. And welcome to Digging in the Digits. Good evening, Mr. Charlie. How are you today? I'm good. I'm energized. I'm happy. I'm good. I'm grateful. So good. That's good. It's uh, man, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm chomping at the bit about this uh, this topic. But we will speak about some things that have been happening in the last week. Um, rest in peace to Bushwick Bill to start with. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Age 52. Obviously. More recently, uh, gave the news himself that he had stage four pancreatic cancer, and obviously yesterday was a bit of a whirlwind where yeah, I saw think that. Your Scarface is the official source going the Bushwick Bill passed, and TMZ was on it, and everyone was on it, and then about twenty minutes later, his family was going, "No, he's not dead. He's fighting. He's fighting." And then obviously everyone had to retract, and then came down today. So yeah, it's a bit unfortunate it had to go down like that, and. Uh, basically like a media tornado but mm. it has gone down it's official and yeah man it's just a it's just a shame honestly there's a you know the legendary member of the girl boys and obviously how <clears throat> influential they were in terms of southern uh, southern hip-hop and bringing and basically being bringing southern hip-hop to the to the new york scene um that mm. was obviously the only scene at that time and kind of just paved the way for other for other southern acts so you know and Bushwick Bill was obviously a very a very uh, uh well on on par with obviously the rest of the group and made his and made his own and made his own way but um yeah it's just unfortunate Bushwick Bill age 52 rest in peace and yes, uh yeah we'll conti- we'll continue on uh you know just well as we as we as we do in life and uh yeah how's your week been what you've been listening to um yeah, we will continue on. Rest in peace. Um, yeah, week's been good. Week's been good. I uh, checked out the new Future joint, and I checked out the new Tiger joint. And, uh, look at you, dedicate, <laughs> take one for the team again. <laughs> I really did, man, because, look, I've, I've, I figured this out from Tiger, that he was the first fully independent rapper to go top 10 this decade in 2018 with Taste. And I was like, whoa. So I listened to the album because I used to be a Tiger fan. And I'm listening to it. I'm like, okay, this is, you just did taste like 15 times. Like what? And so I ran the splits and like the whole album is about sex and money. Like 85.9% of his bars on that album are either about sex or money, (coughs) which is unbelievable. So I did not enjoy that project very much. That song with Lil Wayne was, is great. But apart from that, and then the future one, I was like, ugh, what, what is this? This EP, like, I don't know. It was just... I didn't really enjoy it very much, and that's sad because I quite like Future. Um, but mm. and yeah, the the t- the first track was Xanax Damage, and I'm like, okay, he's really going to get into some stuff here. Uh, ugh, yeah, I don't know, man. You I, thought I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy those two albums very much. So yeah, that was a bit disappointing. <laughs> well, well done for taking one for the team once again. And ladies and gentlemen, big exclusive: we have found the one 
tiger fan in the world. We found him. We found him, ladies and gentlemen. Dude, ladies and okay, gentlemen, no, we I, got got him. I have to speak about this. I have to speak about this very quickly because um, my girlfriend, I was talking to her about this and she's just like, oh, who? Because I, I said her those statistics and she's like, what does, else does tiger have to rap about? And she's like, who the hell even <laughs> likes tiger? And I said, I don't know. So when I post those statistics, do you want to oh, know? God. Like 90% of the responses were positive. People really liked Tyler. <laughs> they were saying, oh, yeah, he knows his lane. He can. He's a good songwriter. He um, knows how to create a bop. Uh, I was like, where did this come from? Because like four years ago, Tiger was like, the. he was just, oh, just, you know, not good in the industry, not well respected, but fans like him. So I'm telling you, man. Those Tiger fans are out there. He might sell yes, 6,000 copies. I was being very, very facetious. He might, he might sell 6,000 <laughs> copies this week. You never know. Uh, yes, okay. You didn't have to prove to me. Huh? Huh? There I'm are just more wor- Tiger fans in the world other than you. Oh, no, I'm, either. Just, <laughs> I'm just worked up this morning. <laughs> I'm just, oh, Jesus. I'm a powder God, keg today. damn. Talk about dying on the hill. Fuck, you know. <laughs> Jeez, man, oh man, chill, chill. I will die on that hill. I will die on the tiger. Die on the, the tiger hill. hill. Jeez, man. Have you fair listened? Enough, fair enough. Have you listened to anything um, this week? Uh, actually, well, nothing new actually, because I just haven't found it. I just didn't really see anything that took my fancy, to be honest. But yeah. um, I actually made that. I actually used that time instead, and I was watching a couple of stuff. So. I saw uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, "When They See Us" uh, for part. Um, oh yeah, uh, I definitely kind of biopicish uh, on a on a, the Central Park Five, and wow, if that doesn't win every award yeah. for a limited series, I don't know. I don't know what will. Honestly, yeah. that is the most. It's it's absurdly gripping. Absurdly gripping, and uh, if you don't know the story, it's much better. If okay. if that makes any sense, because the fact you don't, if you don't know the story. Just the just learning about it via that and via that very dramatic tone that um, Ava uses, it's abs- it's just absurd. And I didn't know how they got exonerated, so the tw- it was kind of a twist to me, to me at the end, and just how it happened. I was just like, no, no, and I was just like hitting up a friend going, oh my days, you need to watch this right now. You need to watch this right now. But yeah, I've watched that. Um, okay. I actually watched today. I uh, watched uh, two parts of the four-part documentary series of Mike's and Men, uh, the recent Wu Tang documentary. Oh, um, yeah, I've heard about that. How'd you How'd you find yeah, it? Yeah, I've got uh, <coughs> your boy got a plug for that <coughs> um, online. Um, so I've been nice. <laughs> I've been downloading a couple of those. I watched the uh, two episodes, the first two episodes of the four today, and uh, yeah, it's uh, looking it's looking it's looking pretty clean. It's looking pretty clean. I might okay, cool. might have a little write up about it. So yeah, other than that. We get into the show, and you know this is actually a kind of a special, if, if anything, it's kind of a two-part special which I've kind of piped up for myself. So um, I'll class it as a two-part special. Why not? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And basically, in the next couple of episodes, this episode, the next one, we will be dedicating to it on major labels against independent labels, as you referenced Tiger, obviously, as one of, of one of the people um, in the independent scene. Technically, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, So we're basically spending this particular episode uh, talking about major labels. And, well, this is, this is, this is Ben's 14. He's actually been wanting to talk about this for... for he's, he's been hinting at this for a couple of weeks. So, yeah, you know... Charlie was <laughs> waiting for that text. I, I kind of... I, I, I really was waiting for that text. I was just like... <laughs> I wish I did like a magician thing like David Blaine does where he writes something down and it's the number they're thinking of. You knew it was <laughs> I wish coming. I did that. 
You knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. So without further ado, Ben, I'll take it away. I definitely want to speak about this because a lot of the conversations, and I go back and listen to our podcast, uh, and a lot of the conversations I think relate heavily to major labels. And I had this kind of idea in my head that major labels were... that. I have this idea with capitalism that there is uh, a small conglomerate of things that are influencing consumption in, in whatever cons- realm that you consume in. And it's just so prevalent in music in general and especially hip hop. And I really want to shed some light onto it because there's a lot of... Sub- Hit them with them geopolitics. There's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of subjective talk and opinion talk on twitter and and, you know just in general about hip-hop and about what's popular and what's not and what's good and what's not and i don't think people realize how deep the the roots of major labels go into these conversations and into what we're hearing now the Mm -hmm. thing that really struck me with this whole thing was one day i was out and i've been listening to stir fry by migos and i didn't you know i don't listen to the radio personally and and we were buying a car and there was this guy who was just singing along to Stir Fry. And I said to him, how do you know that song? Like, I didn't know it was mm-hmm, big in Australia. Mm-hmm, yeah. And he's just like, the radio plays it like 30 times a day. Like, I can't not know it. And so I I honestly can draw, draw back, like, uh, we can go back to every podcast episode we've done. And there's a major label conversation behind all of those things. Now, I have a lot of numbers mm-hmm. and they're quite confronting and they're quite not concerning or they might be concerning they're concerning to me for sure but they might not be surprising to some but um Mm. i guess what i would like to do with this episode i've i've got it quite structured because i can definitely go on tants and range and uh sorry tants and rangents uh rants and rants and tangents rants and tangents oh many words now see last week i said i had to improve my vocabulary now i'm just creating new words so you I want need words. You need work out hundred percent. Yes, yes. Um, so I want to. I want both of. I want Charlie and I to give our perspectives, and and so that the listeners can understand where we're coming from on this, because we come from different mm-hmm. sides of this this argument and different, I mm-hmm. guess, backgrounds. So, mm-hmm. what I want to start with is how we both feel about mainstream music, and I want to ask Charlie this, and I'm going to answer this. But first, I want to ask Charlie. How do you discover music? Do you listen to the radio? Do you care about charts and sales and numbers? And how do you feel in general about mainstream and commercial music? Like, do you have an overall feeling of it? Do you have a, you know, do you have any ideas on it? Like, how do you feel about it? Okay, g- give me, give me, give me those questions one by one. Okay, I'll just, I'll just knock them down. Okay, so how we, how do you so discover I just, music? I just got really well with there. <laughs> Sorry, pri- <laughs> primarily, primarily, how do you discover music? Uh, I guess, I guess via Spotify, if anything, and usually following other artists and seeing what they listen to. So they usually post, you know, other other people. Yeah, you guys check this out, and that's usually, yeah, that's usually how I word of mouth and whatever Spotify lashes me. Yeah, because I guess I asked that question. I think that Spotify is well, obviously Spotify is. Um, uh, major labels have a lot of influence on algorithms and playlists and things like that. The second mm-hmm. part of that with that you said, I believe, is word of mouth. Now, mm-hmm. I think that's how underground and independent artists uh, primarily promote themselves via word of mouth. Sure. It's certainly how I promote sure. myself on Twitter. 
Uh, yep. I am different and I feel like a lot of people are different. Now, I use Spotify heavily. I use the Release mm. Radar and the Discover Weekly uh, playlists. I was with a okay. friend yesterday and she was listening to another curated Spotify playlist and we were discussing the artists and Googling the artists that came up. All of them were on major labels. And I think, and, and I get a lot of my recommendations via Twitter as well. Okay. So that, again, is, is the media that is, I believe, being paid by or having relationships with major labels. And these are promotional tools that major labels are using to get artists to us. So I think the majority of people probably aren't word of mouth. I think that we're highly influenced by uh, major labels and we maybe not even cognizant of it of a, and aware of it. So likely, the next yeah, question... Yeah. The next question, do you listen to the radio? Oh, no. I haven't. Jeez, uh, no. I haven't listened to the radio in a good while, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, it's, it's the same with me. And again, this is another way for, for, you know, major labels to promote music. And so there are people that I speak to, they're like, they'll they'll play me a song that they'll, they think, oh, yeah, you know, you must have heard this. And I'm like, I never heard that song. And then... They said, "Mate, you haven't heard this song? Like it's been played thirty times every day." And then yeah. I'll say, mm-hmm. "I've I've come across it during mm-hmm. my statistical analysis of charts, and mm-hmm. it's been in the top ten for the last four weeks, mm-hmm. but I've never heard it before." And I'm like, "Okay, that's why, because a major label has paid for it to be to be placed there and played over and over again." Um, well, can I say question... something on that right quick? Absolutely, can I say something on that right quick. Yeah. Um, I would say to combat you, I would say to I'd say to that particular reason people don't listen to radio, I would say that is more about social media, if anything, than I'd say that major labels have probably capitalized on that fact and trying to, you know, mm. obviously change with the times. But I think the reason why people don't listen to radio as much, for music anyway, because I, I, I do listen to radio now and again, but it's usually either talk radio or throwback station shout out to history and that's basically if any radio that's the only things i do uh, uh listen to so if it's like chart stuff yeah then i don't see why people just common logic i don't see why people would go to the go to the radio now they can just go on you know spotify or whatever and just find find it right there isn't it? so it's more i'd, I'd say it's more about echo chamber forming echo chambers in that in that case than you know, I, th- I think major labels have had a, um, what's the word, a, a, more of a adaptation to it. But I don't think that's because of major labels. But anyway, continue. No, that's fair. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. Um, then I ask, uh, do you care about charts and numbers and sales? No, you do. You know I don't. <laughs> well, I don't care about charts. I care about, I I care about numbers in a way, but... Well, this is a thing. This is something I've actually been meaning to say for a while, honestly. When it comes to charting, I can't. I mean, I didn't usually. I didn't care about it back in the day, but I really don't care about it now. Simply because I don't think they've accounted for streaming in the proper manner from just a algorithmic perspective, from a you know statistical perspective. I don't think they've classed it properly. So I I can't I can't really take what a chart says to me because it's, 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 it can get it can get a bit silly when I see someone break a record like break a you know a 70 year old Beatles record I'm just like but but have they though but is that the right though you know because uh, I'm not uh, yeah mm. if I wasn't a fan then of, of chart stuff just because I'm 
a contrarian, <laughs> but now I just really, I really can't understand because I just think it's fundamentally the numbers are wrong. So yeah, that's how I see it. It's it's it feels very arbitrary what they've done with the fifteen hundred streams equals an yeah. album. Yeah, it just it feels like. I believe that now we are finally getting a better view of consumption. Yeah. So I think the Hot 100 chart, for example, is more accurate now because you know what people are actually listening to. You have data on that, whereas before, you only only singles were charting in the Hot 100. Now we know exactly what songs people are gravitating towards. But it just feels very arbitrary. I don't really know how they've come up with this random number of 1,500 streams equals an album and they change it and they've weighted yeah. it. And they've done all these yeah. different things. And... You know, I'm going to speak on charts just very quickly, but I think they're again, you know, they're heavily influenced by major labels. And the 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 most relevant example is this DJ Khaled stuff with Tyler. And I'm waking up this morning, and people are saying that he's going to be what suing Billboard or like or, or something. Oh, save it for later. Did you, did save you read that? Light. Okay, okay. <laughs> well. Well, just I'll bring it back to the major label thing. I'll bring it back to the major label thing because look, he was apparently there was a rant at his major at his label over the thing, and he and Tyler are signed to Sony together. Mm. So you know, Tyler's on Columbia, uh, Khaled's on Epic, both under Sony. So Sony is the major label. Um, it just makes me think. Why are we putting so much emphasis on these charts? And I, I, again, I just think it's major labels. And I think Billboard are just reporting on it. They're not the ones that are, you know, they're just reporting and they're coming up with their own criteria. But it's it's us that's giving these these charts mm-hmm. the the weight that they have. Mm-hmm. And someone said on Twitter, because I said, why why is this so important? Like Khaled sold 137,000 first week. That's more than Nav, Logic, a bunch of others, 21 Savage did when they went number one. Like, why do we care so much? And they're like, because it's great for negotiations and recording contracts. They're like, if you have three number one albums, that's better than two. And I'm like, "Eh, I guess so. And there's all this promotional cycle around Mm -hmm. it. So it's all tied in. And one Um, more thing on streaming, by the the, way. Um, Not to be tinfoil hatty, but I'm firmly convinced that not all, but there are some where I can just easily see them having just tons of phones in a basement somewhere and just playing the album oh, over gosh, and over yeah. again. I firmly Absolutely. believe in that conspiracy. Streaming farms. I can. I don't think that's hard to do. That's not hard to do, and I don't see. No. I don't find it really hard to not track. You know what I mean? So I can. I can see that really happening as a widespread thing. But yeah, that's just. as just adding to my point. Uh, previous point. I agree with you, and and there was all this talk. Uh, the Carter Three actually turned eleven today, and there was all this talk back in the day about how Birdman had gone out and bought, you know, because it sold a million first week, and everyone's like, yeah, but seven hundred thousand of those copies Birdman bought, <laughs> and I was like, you know, and it, mm. it's I read it, I read a tweet uh, yesterday, a tweet thread about someone saying that streaming services should pay artists more, and someone was like, do you understand that seventy percent of what they're paying artists is going to labels? Mm-hmm. They're like, it's not streaming services' fault. You know, Spotify's not even profitable, mm-hmm. and yet major labels are making billions of dollars a year. Yep. It's it's major labels, and I think you're right. They are. It's giving a new realm for us to, I guess, uh, influence the numbers. And and major labels are unscrupulous in this. Like they're gonna go for it. So yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that's definitely happening. Happening. Uh, the final question 
just generally, how do you feel about mainstream and commercial music? That's a very, very broad question. <laughs> um, geez, man. Okay. Uh, I would say that... Jeez. I'd say there are many things that aren't corrected. There have been, in the past 10 years, I think there have been a lot of prob- problems that have arisen due to how fast music consumption is evolving, how technology around that is evolving... And I think everybody is struggling to keep up. I think I said this when it comes to... Uh, I think it was the, uh, the female rappers episode. And probably the, yeah, and probably the producers that, one yeah. as well. Where every, yeah. everybody's a step behind. And everybody... You know, there's a, either a female rapper or just or a producer. They're, they're two steps behind. So... When 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 that Constantine is up, it it just forms a just forms a blockage where I, you know, the art doesn't stop, the money doesn't stop per se, uh, but there are there's a lot of injustices going on, and it's hard to it's hard it's hard to clean it up. It's like when it's like when you see in some countries around the world where crime is so ingrained into their politics and government that you can't you can't exactly clean it out because if you tell out then that's a that's basically removing that's basically removing somebody's lung you know i mean that's what the equivalent is so if we clean all this up in what's going on in the music industry then i mean i don't want to sound very i don't want to sound like soprano wish but what is gonna what is there left <laughs> you know you know what i mean if, if not for the you know the 360 deals and you know the all the mm. sly stuff that goes on what is left really so it's messy. you know that's, very that's messy. kind of i'm very pessimistic about this as you can see so <laughs> but yeah that's that's basically what I'm no yeah i do remember that episode where you spoke about that i guess that what i just wrote down on my little notepad was you said everybody's a step behind, and I just said artists are a step behind. You just I, written I it's fucked in the caps. One hundred percent. I was like, I I truly believe this, and and this is why I've gone. This is why I started it in this direction because I want to give the statistics, and I want to say over and over again that I think all of the concerns that we're raising here are related to major labels, and I just think that artists are a step behind. And these injustices and and these things that are happening, I think, are being orchestrated or are being. I guess I guess the fire is being stoked by major labels. They're they're looking for money. They're looking to make money off art, and that's what they're doing. And I remember a quote uh, in I think Questlove said it in his book about when uh, Jay Z signed the Roots okay. to Def Jam, and he said to them, he's like, "Look, I don't want you guys to worry about first week sales." Don't want you to worry about your first single. We don't want you to worry about numbers. Just create music. That's why I signed you because people love the roots. I want to give them the roots. And it, apparently, it was like a uh, an incredible moment in Questlove's career. He's like, you know, I was so shocked by that. And I'm like, how? Why? What? What? Shouldn't you be hearing this as an artist mm-hmm. all the time? And you know, Jay was uh, the president of Def Jam at the time. And I'm like, man, this is just entrenched. Like, this, this these major labels making money off artists and that's why I think artists are a step behind and uh, I'll get to the numbers now because this is why I believe this is the case so I'll define what a major label release is first now a major label release is anything uh, that comes under Sony 
Universal, or Warner. Now, there are those three labels have distribution arms. Uh, ADA is Warner, UMD is Universal, and Red is Sony. If an album comes out on an independent label and it's distributed by a major label, I'm not counting that as a major label yeah. release, simply because I don't believe a major label then has creative control or the ability to block release. You know, it's just the distribution deal. The artist mm -hmm. creates the art gives it to ADA, and ADA is like, okay, now we'll send it out to the people. So from 2010 to 2018, I've looked at all the top 10 chart weeks on the Hot 100 and the Billboard 200 from hip-hop artists. 93.3% of those top 10 chart weeks came from three major labels. Uh, and that is consistent across the top five, which is 93.2%, and number one. 90 percent 291 hip-hop albums hit the top 10 from 2010 to 2018 88 percent of those mm. came from major labels uh so 12 percent came not major labels like it's a it's a it's a massive amount yeah. um 2019 has been even worse so 96.3 percent of 2000 and 19 has been major at the top and we've spoken about this before and a lot of people say so what you know top 10 it's a maybe it's an arbitrary category that you've created anyone who spent a bit of time on twitter or a bit of time engaging in hip-hop media on the mainstream level i'm talking about complex dj booth all these these outlets hip-hop mm -hmm. dx hot new hip-hop they know that these are the, these top ten artists are the ones that are getting the bulk of the promotion. They're getting the the bulk of uh, the the chatter around them. If you're going top ten, you're going to get articles written about you. And the higher you chart, the more articles are going to be written about you. The more people are going to read those articles, the more people are going to listen to your music. And in the end, no, we don't want to create art just to make money. But we want to create art and we want to create and, and be heard by as many people as possible. So we're funneling these artists into this kind of, as you said earlier, echo chamber where only the commercially successful are getting heavy promotion from. And I think it's just so blatantly mainstream and so blatantly major label that those numbers come from three labels, just three labels. There are three labels in charge of like 93.3% mm -hmm. of what we're hearing. And to me, that's that's quite scary. My question to you is, does this surprise you? Does it scare you? And why do you think that it's such a big part of hip hop still? Uh, I would say it doesn't, I'd say it doesn't, the numbers being that high doesn't surprise me per se. And I want to put some, a little bit of historical context into this because obviously hip-hop being such a grassroots thing and we know where the foundations are, we know where the foundations have come from. <clears throat> it's taken it's taken so long for it to... It's been like a slow death, I'd say, in, in terms of that kind of spirit of hip-hop where... There, there's the the business side is way larger than the artistic side, lifestyle side, whatever you want to call it. The essence of hip hop, if you want to call it that, <clears throat> I would say that it being so ingrained in hip hop now, 
kind of coincides with its popularity, I guess. If you know when it just obviously it just came the most popular genre in the US, we've said that before, and this doesn't, and the, the fact that it's in the mid 90s doesn't really doesn't surprise me, it kind of coincides with that. Now, why I say that, does that ask the question? So, if you want the popularity, do you also need the major labels? I would love to say no. <laughs> I'd love to say no. But then again, I well, I don't I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if that's obviously a hypothetical. If if big if quote unquote big big business wasn't 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 about. And just to <clears throat> just to preface what you're what you're talking about, you know, we name we we sometimes on, on the show you know name labels that we don't exactly realize that they're under the three three major uh, US labels and also EMI which is a, a British one <clears throat> yeah they, and BMG and yeah 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 yes so you know, from from three you gave so let's go let's go for this this is I've, I've, believe it or not for the first time ever guys I've got numbers <laughs> hey well I've, well I've got so, I've got sources it's all good my so, influence this is, is actually expanding a, don't expect don't expect this often. Um, <laughs> this is from a, dude, a guy called uh, Rory Taylor who actually wrote a, uh, a dissertation for his uh, Master of Laws degree uh, in 2010. And just just na- just uh, want to name just throw off just some of the names that are under the major label. So UMG Universal Music Group, Def Jam, Geffen, Interscope, Island, Motown, Rockefeller. We've named several of those over the past. 10 or so weeks and they're all they're all under one basic umbrella that's that's mad to me you know how it's how it's something where Def Jam is so known especially in hip-hop and then comes this even bigger thing that is actually hovering over it and we don't yeah. exactly realize that it's like it's a great point it's like it's like it's like uh if I def if you look up to the sky right Def Jam is a cloud, and and UMG is that blue thing. <laughs> that's yes. What's going on? Yes. That's basically how you, how you can actually see it. That's a great, so, yeah, Sony, great visualization. Yeah, great visualization. I'm proud of that. Sony BMG, right? Arista, Columbia, Hello, Epic. You just mentioned that. Jive, RCA, Warner, uh, Asylum, Atlantic, Bad Boy, Lava, Reprise, Rhino. It's 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 quite it's kind of silly. It's kind of silly how how big they actually are, and I don't think we really have a grasp on how large they are. And this isn't just hip hop as well. Obviously, they have a stranglehold on most of American music. So, and then so when we when we say that, and then we're just cutting it down to just hip hop, then again, I come back to the fact that I'm not really surprised that it's in the mid nineties. I'm really not. How. You know, uh, the the reason, only reason I know what Columbia is, or the first instance I knew who Columbia was, was because Nas, uh, I think it was Nazi Mac was on it. It just had it on there. Yeah, it was on there. Yeah. yeah, it was Columbia. I think it was Columbia. And yeah. I got the Nas vinyl three years ago, and I just saw Columbia on there, and I was like, ah, oh, yes, Columbia, I remember that. Motown, how can I forget Motown? You know, yes. I, I know Motown for being Motown, but now they're this underling. And that just that just fascinates me on a whole nother level. So, yeah. So you know, just conf- just reaffirming, I am not surprised by any of this. Am I scared? I mean, again, the sky is blue, <laughs> um, so I can't. 
is a point where you shouldn't you can't really be scared of just something that's so monolithic um i mean it's just a, i think it's just a, a way of life at, at this point and you know one artist can't take down a whole thing so i don't really if it, if it's a matter of chopping it down then i can't really imagine such a monolith being as such as those being taken down so you know again pessimistic but <laughs> but that's what, but, that, but that's how i that's how i just uh that's how i see it that point about subsidiaries is great because we 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 think about these major incredible hip hop labels like you even think Rockefeller and you're like yeah that's independent that's not independent well, TDE like, Interscope yeah a lot then, of people said TDE then you got <laughs> a lot of people said TDE and and look you know well, TDE's uh was was is a bit like Def Jam where it was set up independently and yep. it has partnered with a major label and yep. back in the day you know I Jamlin and Dreamville as well. 100% free bands by with Future, uh, Visionary, mm-hmm. with Logic. Like, come on, all these shady... Quality um, control, yeah. Yeah, quality control. Well, actually, quality control uh, is not under anyone, actually. Um, they, are distributed by, they are distributed by... They are distributed. 100%, yeah. You know, there, there are a couple of, like, 300 Entertainment is not... We have to, we have to remember that... Um, like, I, I went into this really deeply because I had to go through every single release that hit the top 10 for this article I'm writing uh, in the last eight years. And it took me weeks because I, it's so hard mm. to find this information, who, what is distributed by what, what, what label is under what, and just the mm-hmm. weight of subsidiary labels there are. Uh, man, you wouldn't even believe, like a lot of albums have three or four labels attached to them and all of them are under the same uh, major label. Like there might be three labels under Universal, but they all have different names and they'll all be set up in different ways. So a lot of people think that, you know, young money, cash money, they're like, yeah, yeah. And like, no, um, they're under Interscope, which is under Universal, I think. I'm, I'm, you know, I keep getting all mixed up because there's a, there's a million of them. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. going back a little bit in time, because this is, this is relevant, is, mm-hmm. you know, before, before major labels became really entrenched, you know, Def Jam started out independent. Um, and it was like the label at the time back in the eighties. Now I only know this secondhand. I've only read about this. I've only heard stories about it. So I I didn't actually live through it. Of course, I'm only 30, but they were like, you know, they were created and they were the ones who were achieving mainstream success, mainly through the Beastie Boys and LL Cool J. Now, uh, they were distributed by Columbia uh, well, Beastie Boys' first number one album was distributed by Columbia, but it was under Def Jam, and Def Jam was not under Universal yet. So mm-hmm. back in the, the late 80s and early 90s, these hip-hop labels were still quite independent, and it wasn't until around the early 90s that uh, major labels started to really get their, their claws into hip-hop. So yep. uh, I've got some numbers here. Let me just find these here quickly. From well, nine... while you find those, just quick, just quickly, yep, that, yep. That is, that's the historical context, isn't it? Where yeah, this is it. started off as this a, you know, as like the first, well, not the, probably not the first hip hop label, but you know, one of the, the the first large one, I'd say, I, I'd, I'd say, and you know, now it's just a, now it's just a, 
that's just a, a, a secondary. So, so it's just that's the thing. It's 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 all about that capitalizing that you f- first off started with 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 the capitalism and just like how they saw they saw Def Jam and they were like, All right, yeah, let me, let me just let me just buy the whole thing. <laughs> and you know, we say we we don't know who these people are, and that's just another that's just another thing where that's I don't know thing. who these suits are. It's it's just it's just they're so faceless. It's just Universal. <laughs> it's just UMG. You, you, it's just ugh, it's creepy. It's, it, it, that, that, in, that, in that facet, it's actually creepy to me. Where uh, I don't know the I don't know these people. Like in film, I know who owns Disney, but in music, it's just so much more. It's just so much more faceless. It's really weird. But anyway, it's quite scary because we know you know we know Russell Simmons. We know uh, Diddy yep. with Bad Boy. We know Jay Z with Rockefeller. We knew these yep. these people, yep. but we didn't know who was above them. And yep. this is what ha- really hurt me about that title stuff where, you know, all these artists got up on stage and all of a sudden people had, you, you could see it, you could see exactly what you just said play out. We, we weren't aware that there were all these people behind these, you know, basically everything we were hearing. And mm-hmm. title showed us like actual people on stage and they're like, oh man, these people are trying to control music or these people are trying to profit of art, or these people are trying to, to uh, I don't know what I don't. I still don't really understand the rhetoric around that. But I think people were projecting their their fear and 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 uh, confusion about major labels onto title and onto those artists that got on stage that day. And they said these are the these are the people who want more. These are the people who are pimping out the artists. And like, no, these are the artists. You guys, you guys have never seen the people that are pimping them out because they stay way behind the scenes. Like they're not, you're not going to see the president of Universal just popping up in interviews and stuff like that. But you'll see Diddy. You'll see Lucian Grange, by the way. Lucian Grange. And and if you listen to a lot of podcasts and listen to a lot of hip hop interviews, these people will be mentioned. They will definitely be mentioned, but um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to speak on all their names now because I haven't done a lot of research into it, uh, and I don't want to get you know things wrong. And and but again, that's the scary thing, right? Because I just I just rattled off some names of and heads of major labels like you. Everyone knows Suge Knight, everyone knows uh, Dr. Dre, like everyone knows who the heads. And I feel confident speaking on those. But if I want to speak about the heads of these these three major labels, I don't feel confident at yep. all. I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. there's no there's no conversation around them. So historically, yes, we we look at the late nineties, uh, late eighties, and early nineties is when hip hop started to progress into the mainstream. We had, you know, we started to have million dollar deals, Eric B and Rakim. Uh, we started to have. Uh, number one albums, Beastie Boys, uh, LL Cool J. We started to have top ten singles. We had MC Hammer. We had Vanilla Ice. We and this is exactly when major labels became entrenched in hip hop. They started buying up labels like Def Jam, and there yeah. are some bastions of independence like Ruthless um, by with Eazy E. But it's it's really rare. And so, from 1986 to 1996, there were 17 number one hip hop albums, and 11 came from major labels. From 97 to 99, there were more number one hip-hop albums in those three years than there were in the 10, 11 years prior. There were 19 number one albums and 77.7 came from major labels. With singles, it was even more obvious. And last week we spoke about singles on the uh, the protest music podcast and about yeah. 
you know, we, I was going through the charts and I'm like, man, these these are pretty poppy singles and, and pretty poppy yeah. lyrics. Probably mm. because major labels were behind them. Like, major labels were behind 87.5% of the 16 hip-hop songs to go number one in the 90s, in the whole decade. The only, There was only two that were entirely independent. Amazingly, it was Coolio's Gangster's Paradise and The Crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony. So... I guess going like we're, we're we're going way back in time here to just show how these labels became entrenched in hip hop because they were they were either drivers I don't know I don't know what the distinction here is I don't know if they were the drivers to commercial success or if they hopped on a wave that artists had created themselves through buzz and just through creating great art and major labels saw an opportunity to say, all right, we're going to attach ourselves to this and we're going to become part of this fabric of, of commercial hip-hop now and it's going to last in perpetuity. I don't know which of those two happened, but it certainly happened around the late 80s and early 90s. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd just be... I'd just go for the... Probably, like, the worst-case scenario and just... And just it, but I just... I would say... I'd actually hypothesize this, okay? I would say that the reason why people would... I mean, I mean, okay, okay. so think think about this, right? Just, just a hypothetical, right? So, let's say both of our... You know, just both of our uh, entities, so your hip-hop numbers and my fifth element, right? Say they are... One of, the, one of the most popular independent, whatever you want to call it, uh, ent- uh, media entities going right now, okay? In 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 the, <laughs> in the extreme hypothetical, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's, let's say we're let's just say we're well known, and you know we're and we're buzzing, and you know we've got we've got the people on lock, like we like we will at some point. And let's just say that a I don't know, like a a complex or a just like a major major media uh, or Vox or whatever, just wanted just wanted to swallow us up and you know just help us become more. I think that's it right there. Where it's a it's kind of like um, I don't want to say deal with the devil kind of thing, but it obviously has given labels, however you know grassroots that they were in the first place a chance to have a lasting legacy. There are probably... I don't want to just try and think of independent labels that are still, you know, are still doing their things. Maybe, I guess maybe Tech Nine is the, is the only, like... Yep. strange music. Really yep. highly, really highly relevant one that I can actually suggest, uh, strange music. Yep. And, you know, other than that, I can't really think of anybody that... And, you know, and, you know strange music isn't... You know, isn't isn't as big as you know the, some of the other labels we've named, but they have formed a formed a niche for themselves, and they have, and obviously Tech Nine has a fan base, and uh, another artist there have a fan base, and that's fine. And if you're fine with that, then you're fine with that. But if you want to grow, there will come a point where you need to. I don't want to say sell out, but you will need to corroborate with these people that are clearly on a higher plane than you and they need to pull you up to this higher plane yep. you're trying to climb the wall and you've got your hands on the wall 
and they and you need someone to grab your grab your arm and pull you, and give you a quick lift and, and and that's and that's basically and that's basically what it is for some of these labels i highly assume where oh. Yeah, yeah. What I want to say is, are they pulling you up into a space that they created? Are they are they pulling you up into something a higher level that exists separate from major labels, or are they pulling you up, or separate from these big entities, or are they pulling you up into a space that they created in a in a, a system that they oversee? Yeah. Cause that's scary. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It is, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, that is right. You, you, it's a risk. It's a risk you have to take. Yeah. And because they have such dominance in this system, you need if you if you need to, they're kind of a gatekeepers in a way. Oh and yeah. And there are several. Sure. And there are several. Now several gatekeepers. You know, if you want to, if you're an artist and you need to, and you need to get your name up more, or you just need a. Or, or you just want, don't want to be independent anymore, or whatever. Then you go up to a label. You 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 like a you're like a Ray Black. Can you go and you go from independent to uh, uh, going on Island Island Records, right? And then if you want to have your own label, then you can go make your own label. But will that be under Island? And then if you're under Island, then that's under I think um, I think uh, so- Sony, and then if I think uh, Universal then, you know, Island it, at the moment, I'm not sure, but it's yeah, one Universal, of them. Yeah. yeah, Universal, and you know, it's just, it's just like if do you want to be that bit under, because you're either going to be that or not in it at all. So is a is is a risk in, and I think the, I think the conclusion will come to in both of these episodes is that every road is a risk, but you just need to have the awareness and the education to know which is the better risk i guess or or which has the highest reward um because they have this they ha- they clearly have a stranglehold on this and i and at this point it's just something that you have to acknowledge um if you want to get up to that plane then pff, at some point if you're a nice or whatever you, at some point you're going to have to stop making music cuz clearly they can't uh, clearly it's not that possible to have such a big conglomerate which it is behind you and still do what you want to do there comes uh, you can be like a you can be a j cole and have dreamville but you can't get any higher up than that unless you stop doing music altogether and just focus on the business side yeah that's where that's where that's why that's why russell simmons was able to focus on def jam and then you know, build up on that, and then build his own portfolio. That's how you. You have to. It's like it's either one or the other. There comes a time when you ha- when you have to be a, a music person and focus on the art, and the yes. mu- and the money will. Yes. And you know, and obviously keep an eye on the money, but it will. But it will. You know, speak for itself, I guess. Or you can just come out of that and focus on the business, and then you can. You know, uh, and then you can get, uh, climb the stairs to higher planes to be a nameless face, to be a faceless suit. If you want to be that, then by all means. But I think yeah. it just comes a time for you know for for everybody, for artists or for or for writers such as ourselves. Going back to our hypothetical, there will come a point where you just have to either accept the arm up or just keep trying to climb yourself that's up. That's a tough. I guess. That's a really tough decision to make. 
I think yeah. like the 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 Jake Cole mention is interesting because when he first was signed to Rock Nation, you know, uh, which was under Live Nation, and it was basically a major label when he created Dreamville in 2013. But he'd already put in, you know, four years, and his first couple of albums were quite commercial, and he was definitely. I've read stories about uh, needing that that hip hop, you know, radio single, and like torturing himself to get that commercial sound. And he yep. was very successful, and then he was able to pivot into the business side. And I think those people that you've named, and I remember back listening to that '95 freestyle with Jay Z and Big L back in '95 on mm. uh, Stretch and Bobito. And mm-hmm. between the songs, uh, between the, the verses, they asked Jay-Z about his music. And he said, this was before Dead President, so this was in my lifetime. And they said, you got a single out. And he's like, yep, single out now. He's like, it's in my lifetime. It's not in all stores. But once we lock this distribution down, it will be in all stores. And this was before he blew. This is Jay-Z, who's now a billionaire, right? He knew yeah. back then. And yeah. and he had to sit in a room with Def Jam and he had to negotiate. And, and that first distribution deal was with Priority, I think. It wasn't even with Def Jam. And it wasn't until he partnered with Def Jam that he blew up. But the yeah. frustration for me in this is he had a business mind and he was an artist, okay? But he had to flip between the two, right? He had to, he had to, to play both sides of that. Now, if you're just an artist and you have no interest in the business side, you're gonna get chewed up and spit out by these major label, uh, these major label machines. We've seen it happen so many times. We've seen so many label disputes. Even LL Cool J was upset at Def Jam in the mid 2000s. Like he was angry that they weren't yeah. putting his music out. You know, LOX, yeah. like all these artists. And we look now at, at young artists being, I believe, taken advantage of by major labels where. Like you saw that interview with Blueface, and you didn't even know who he was signed to. You know, he, this is a young guy. Like it, it's, it, it might have been funny for people to clown him at the time, but for me, it was really sad. I, I'm like, this guy's got a really hot single. He is clearly knows what's relevant at the moment, and he can make music that is uh, going to be popular. He has no idea what's going on above him. He doesn't know any of these people. And these are the people that are in charge of his career now. These are the people that are going to withhold funds or they're going to they're going to push his album back. And he doesn't know them. He doesn't even know who he's signed to. And when I was 18 or 19 years old, uh, if you'd said to me, and, and I wasn't creating in this realm, uh, but if, if I had hip-hop numbers back when I was 18 and someone said to mm-hmm. me, if Complex said to me, hey, we'll give you... $500,000 and just come be part of us. What do you think I'm going to do? Yeah. What do you think I'm going to do? Now, no, I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because I am in a significantly more situated place in my head and my heart and my soul and I know what I want. But what do you yeah. think pe- kids are going to do at that age? And that's why I get really worked up about this whole thing because I think major labels are just taking advantage of artists and they're trying to make money off art. And whilst... Yeah. You know they're they're commercializing and they're they're um, I'm not going to say degrading, but they're they've created a market for art which is great. We want artists to be paid, but then they're being completely unscrupulous and it's like it's like you go create your art and then you give it to us. And I see this on a small scale. Uh, I've actually written for Complex before, and it's basically like okay, you write an article and then once that, that article is written, you give it to us and then we'll pay you and then that's it. You don't own any rights to that article. 
Um, we publish it or we don't. We, you know, it, no matter how much money we make off that, if it goes ultra viral and we make, you know, $100,000 off it, you get your $150. That's it. There's no back end. There's no, there's nothing more. And I don't think a lot of people realize that advances on albums and, and things like that are similar. Like there are contracts that say you will give you money, you go create the project, you submit it to us, and then we'll pay you. And then that's it. It's like publishing as well. You know, when, when a, a major label owns an artist publishing, they're getting the bulk of the money that comes from that publishing. And that's all mm-hmm. back end. And it's just, it's sad. So, you know, you and I spoke during the week about like, oh, what if we get to 100 episodes and, and Spotify offers us a deal or something like that. And it was entirely yeah. hypothetical, like hugely hypothetical, but it just gives you, you know, time to think and like, would I do that? Would I want to be part of this label? And then you think about it and you're like, but I want so I want people to hear me. I want people to hear what I have to say and and read these statistics and, you know, engage with my content. And the best way to do that is mm-hmm. to, 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 to grab that arm and get that pull up. But yep. it's so tempting and they make it, and this is what frustrates me, they make it so tempting. They really do. And there's a world of hurt up there. I've seen it. You see it in artists. You see it. It's just it can be painful, it can be beautiful, it can be brilliant, but yeah. it's it's almost like damned if you do, damned if you don't at this point. And the reason I'm so frustrated is because I really think major labels have created this situation themselves. I don't think the, an artist would create this situation. I think, yeah, it's, it's just frustrating. No. Yeah, I, I want to I wanna read a little passage actually from uh, uh, Mr. Taylor's um, uh, dissertation here. It's a little subtext, little sub bit called uh, "Investment in the Night," right? Just to give people a just like a taste of how it goes, I guess. So it goes: the record label typically provides an upfront fee for the artist to cover various costs such as recording, producing, mixing, and master- mastering a record. It could also be used for distribution, marketing, and promotional purposes. The upfront fee is commonly known as an advance, okay? Uh, Going down, going down, trying to find the bit. Okay, so there are a number of ways which record labels may recoup their advance, such as licensing licensing the artist's music and gaining revenue through record sales. However, most commonly, a label recoup by way of artist royalty payments. Put simply, a royalty payment is the term used for the proportion of funds allocated to the artist. That's what we all know about. We've all heard of that term. Mm. The range of royalties uh, available from record labels varies from artist to artist, depending mostly on sales potential and any pre Previous success in a typical major deal, new artists receive between eight and twelve percent for a full UK mar- uh, price, full price UK market sales. An already successful artist may receive a higher rate. Therefore, if an artist has re- received ten percent and an album sold for ten dollars, uh, ten pounds, they would receive one pound for every album sold. That's pretty decent math, isn't it? Anyway, mm. continuing on. <laughs> However. As recording contracts are usually structured so that almost all the expenses the record label incurs related to a record are charged against any royalties for the artist may earn. Uh, Artists are not actually paid any royalties until the record label has covered or recouped their expenses from making the record. So they don't make any P until the record label makes their P back. So just that on the face of it is just... Ah... Yeah, that's tough. That's a tough decision to make if you're actually uh, thinking of, you know, signing to a, 
uh, major if you're league. even if you're even aware Therefore, of that if process, a record li- like you might not even be aware of this like i i didn't know it was like this bad so yeah continue but like you got to at least be aware someone's exactly exactly so say if we did get that spotify deal would we know uh, and obviously podcasting and music's probably a different ball game but would we would we be educated in that kind of field? Probably not. We just they'll just throw numbers at us and get. Well, they will say, "Do you want to get paid to do this?" And I'll yes, be like, please. "Yes." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, just saying that, like, where, where do I sign? You know what I mean? So it could easily just be so simple, so simple. Uh, anyway, continuing on. Therefore, if a record label spends a hundred thousand pounds to record an album, the artist must make over a hundred thousand. In royalties until they receive their first royalty check. It is argued that approximately 80% of albums never reach this point, which means that most artists never receive any royalty checks. The one redeeming feature is that if an artist does, uh, does not send enough albums to recoup, they do not have to pay the record label back. It does not come out of the artist's own back pocket. So... That's just a, that's just a little bit, and the you know the dissertation was dropped in about 2010, so obviously it's a bit uh, it's a bit late from a statistical standpoint. But just thinking about that of a potential pitfall for any artist is, and there's probably so many more. There's probably so many more that we don't know about because for one, because as people know, we're not artists, so <laughs> we just we just we're just looking stuff up and having other and other people and other people tell us this uh, t- tell us these numbers. So to think about that and to think about what you said, going back to what you said, is very. Uh, to go back to uh, you asking if that's scary, right? I would say it is scary to be an artist and to even think about signing to a major record label because that can literally that, that could it could make or break you in one in one in one way. And you know, it's, it's kind of why I said it, it's a risk. You either go with it or you don't. And I guess it's just a matter of conscience, really. If you if you or a matter of. Um, you know, if you're if you're fine with it, then you're fine with it, and if you're willing to live with your decision, then you're willing to live with it. But take it from I don't know, like a day last soul, still fighting with Tommy Boy after all these years, and that's that's just that's something nobody wants, and and it's one of those horror stories. And I'm sure that most artists uh, on a major label could probably give you a horror story about either a deal they made or just any business transaction. I've, I've I guarantee heard, that they I've probably hundreds, have at least yeah. one. Exactly. So, with all with all that said, even, is it worth even, it? I guess even just thinking, oh, if I sign to a major label and I blow up, you're probably not going to make your money off music. So you will need to diversify your revenue, and you will need to use that popularity in another realm. And exactly. I've heard people. I guess yep. defend major labels in this because they're like, well, this artist wouldn't even be big without our promotional budget, and and then there's this this push and pull yep. between, is the artist big because of their art? Is the artist big just because the major label promoted their art? And then it gets really messy and subjective. But even on a basic level, unless you're selling yep. a lot of albums, unless you're going multi platinum constantly, and, and we're talking about unicorns at the top here, we're talking about Kanye and Jay Z and Eminem, you're not clearly from what that that article says and this is you know that that has confirmed mm-hmm. like i've never heard it's laid out like that but that has confirmed so much anecdotal evidence i've heard in interviews over the years you're not going to make appreciable appreciable money off just your art 
and and we spoke about this on the the producer episode as well you know how sad it is that producers can't make money off their art they have to diversify their their, their revenue stream and yeah this is enough, again yeah. it goes back to what we said earlier with artists now having to be businessmen and say how am i how am i going to find another way and they spoke about this on the Joe Budden podcast last week where Joe was talking about how what it was like when he was younger on a major label and he realized and I forget who he was who he was referencing he might have been referencing Jay-Z and just saying I realized that I had to work out a way to make money myself I wasn't going to make money off my albums and mm-hmm. you you just hear mm-hmm. so many so so many horror stories of artists just not getting paid for albums or you know, not seeing a cent from an album or not seeing a cent from a single. Even Tiger said that, uh, I think it was his, was Faded maybe his big hit or Molly. Molly might have been his biggest hit. And he basically said, yeah, I paid for the video out of my pocket and I didn't see any money from that. And, you know, he was under cash money and there's lots of cash money issues, but mm. that's a, that's under a major level too. So it's just... Yep unfortunately now artists aren't just artists they have to be business business people as well and it's just sad man it's it just makes me a bit sad i mean in that sense i think it's completely fine and much encouraged for them to educate themselves in what's going on you know it's it's not it's it's a shame that circumstances have come to this where eyes have to be business savvy as well as artistically talented you know, in a perfect world, being artistically talented would just warrant you, you know, the riches that you, the riches that you deserve. <laughs> but obviously, the world isn't like that. It's a, it's obviously a, a freaking, a kind of a, a cesspool of anything, and it's a, just a pool full of piranhas. That's use some other imagery. So, it's encouraged that uh, artists have to be business savvy, and I highly encourage that for pretty much anyone in the arts anyway. If you want to get what's yours, you're going to have to fight for it. And in my mind, that's completely fine. But is again, it is a shame, from a especially from a cultural standpoint, from how I see things, that, you know, I'm... It's a constant, it's a constant battle in my mind thinking about how large hip-hop is and how wide-reaching hip-hop is. You know, if, if hip-hop wasn't this popular, would we even meet? Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's 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 a it's a worthy question. Would I would I have hit up this guy from Australia if, if hip hop was wasn't as big yep. as it is now? I don't know. It may be it's a it's a clear hypothetical in a parallel universe, but it is sad thinking about it from a cultural standpoint of how it started and how it was just about you know just having fun and creating art. And now it's just become a full-on business where we're dedicating two parts of 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 our show to record labels and independent labels next week. You know, it's it's content, but it's kind of depressing thinking about it from a just a from just a cultural perspective for me anyway. But um, yeah, that's well. Uh, there's there's been an undertone. <laughs> that's kind of a, that's kind of where I'm at. The, the, the scary thing is there's been an undertone of major labels, and they've probably been mentioned in every episode we've done. And yep. Again, there's two things I want to say on this before we finish. The first is yeah. Go the for problem it. here is, and well, maybe they they link into each other. We don't know if major labels are the ones that are responsible for making hip-hop popular or if major labels hopped on 
and hip hop would have become popular anyway. And it's very, very hard to make that distinction. It's, I don't know if any, there's no, because I'm an analytical person and and I don't know. I I don't know how I would find that statistic. Like I looked at the uh, cross section and the, I guess the better word is intersection of hip hop transitioning into mainstream popularity and then where major labels were at that point and where they were five years later when hip-hop was really mainstream and I can't find an answer there. I just don't know what that answer is. So I don't know. I don't know if we needed hip uh, needed major labels for, you know, as you said, like for even us to meet or for, for me to, to build a small platform or for us to hear these artists we don't know and it's always goes right back to did the artists create themselves or did the major label create them would they be successful without the major label like it's very hard it's very hard but the second thing is everyone is so individual and unique and when you start putting people into uh big systems that are designed to serve the majority and designed to not in a bad way i'm not saying like uh they're designed to serve the majority at the expense of other people i'm just saying that they're these are what Mm. works these big systems and big tropes and big big data and big things that you can apply across a broad range of humans it just in a capitalist Mm. society this is what works and major labels there are three of them okay so they know what works and what you said earlier about um you know the the tone between us has been different like i'm very i guess upset and and are angry at major labels and I constantly place the blame at them. And as I've become less and less enamored with capitalism and understanding of other ways for us to exist as a human race, I've always been more and more nihilistic and more and more critical of capitalist structures and I believe that major labels are. But again, that is my opinion and my opinion is formed completely different of everyone else's opinion on this earth. And so when you start trying to shoehorn individuals into these structures, it's you're going to have... Uh, you're going to have disagreements and you're going to have people out there who are going to be very, very angry at these structures and then you're going to have people out there who are very, very happy with them. And so I'm, I guess, looking at it from the outside, if I step out of my own emotions and step out of my own viewpoints and you can see the whole picture and it's how it's what works at the moment. This is a system that we have, and hip hop is now the most popular genre in North America. It is a cultural phenomenon. It is really uh, driving yep. consumption and behavior in America. And regardless of how that came about, it's working right now. This is the way that it's happening, and it's giving young hip hop artists a great way to express themselves. And there was a tweet I saw yesterday. And because I was talking about the the death of the third verse, which we spoke on on our pilot episode that we might record one day, re-record, and we believed in that episode that it was a sad death of lyricism in hip hop because we thought of hip hop as mm-hmm. you know a way for for people to tell their stories, a way for people who were suffering through struggle to tell their story, and we're like, well, we're seeing that kind of kind of fall by the wayside. This person made a great point. They said that. Back in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, rappers made their point and got their point across and told their story via lyricism. Now they are telling their story via emotion and energy and vibe. And that really Mm -hmm. hit home for me because you know what? I listened to Juice World and I'm like, there's some tracks on there that really hit me. I'm like, wow, this guy, I can feel what this guy 
listen to XXX Tentacion, you know, and it's different. They're not lyrical. They're not lyrical, but they're, they're getting their story across. And I am grateful, regardless of how I feel about major labels, I'm grateful that they may have created a climate in which young artists can now express themselves and tell their story to the entirety of America and the world. And more and more people are allowed to connect with that and able to connect with it and hear these stories and gather the knowledge that I've gathered from hip hop over the years. You know, it's very important for people from different walks of life to hear these stories. It's it's essential because these are stories that we're not exposed to. These are these are different communities and different emotions that we've never had before. And it's essential that we we are able to consume that. And so if major labels are the reason that we can do that, maybe they're a good thing. Wow. That was a, that was that was probably the best soapbox we have had we've had so far on this podcast, right? Oh, thank it's well you. done. Jeez, thank man, you. that was got the clap. That was that was long. That was lengthy. Yeah, man, I clapped it up. Yeah, man. Uh, just uh, two 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 things. When you mention you know uh, energy and vibe and feelings and juice world, I just think of that Family Guy clip where it's like a band going oh feelings. I just love that shit. Mad <laughs> funny and the. Uh, all this talk on capitalism, bloody hell, man! Oh god! Oh, man. Next next week on the Proletariat podcast, we shit on capitalism. I'm all over it now, man. <laughs> I'm in a transition period in my uh, my my relationship next, with capitalism. Next, next week, Lenin or Stalin? Who do we go for? <laughs> we need a we need a spin off. We need a spin off. <laughs> my friend Vitali comes to comment. Um, anyway, <laughs> just a just a quick lighter note uh, here on the Proletariat podcast. Um, once again, for the for the second time in about four weeks, fuck DJ Khaled. Oh my days, he's managed to come up again, pissing me off and pissing everybody off, which I'm so happy about. And you actually mentioned oh, it, you man. know, just, just earlier in the early in the episode. He's so salty about Tyler and Billie Eilish beating him to number one. I've never seen this. You know what this is? He's cracked his persona. He's like, are we the best? We, we you know, all, all this bollocks, all, you know, all that uh, positivity <laughs> crap. And he is, he has shown his true self by being a petty little bitch. And you know what? I'm here for it. You've been exposed. And to quote your, and to quote your famous gift, Mister uh, uh, DJ Khaled, congratulations. You played yourself. I'm done. I, it, it, I'm surprised. Like you didn't, you didn't have to do your David Blaine moment because you did it like three weeks ago on the podcast, and you're basically like, "This guy is phony. He's fake." And guess I what? Know. You were you. Yep. There's 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 parallels. Yep. There's there's yep. triple entendres. Yep. You, this is like a Jay Z album that you've crafted over the last. This is the blueprint, and it only took <laughs> you three weeks. Uh, you were yeah. hundred. You are a hundred percent right, and it is really sad. But but and, I, and a lot of people didn't see it coming. You saw it coming. A lot of people didn't see it coming. You know, I see through you. I see through you lot. I see through Khaled. I saw through that shit. All it, and all it took was Tyler the Creator. Well done, well done, Tyler. Big up yourself. That is your biggest it's, it's, achievement so far. You've exposed. It's so DJ ridiculous. Khaled. It's so ridiculous. Like now, now it is exactly exposed what Khaled's doing because I ran the numbers. His guests, right? His features on that album have spent a total of two hundred and forty weeks at number one. That's why he's angry. He's like, I just got the Avengers. I got the Avengers. Yeah, it was Infinity War, the Endgame. Yeah, and they lost. They lost. And uh, Tyler was Thor. 
Wait, Thor- Thanos, <laughs> Thanos, Thanos. So Tyler, oh man, what the hell, DJ Khaled? Who are you going to sue? Look, I do agree with him about the bundle. The bundle thing, like it, it's clearly the tipping point for him, and and it's a pointless kind of thing to get so bent out of shape over and to attack Tyler over, like call his music mysterious, and that's just a silly, well, silly route to go down. Why would he do that? But I do kind of understand him on the bundle thing. He's like, why did my bundles not count and why did Tyler's count? But don't be so petty about it. You know, just just take the L and move on. Do it behind closed doors if you have to. And this whole idea of berating your own music label, dude, Tyler's on that music label. If you needed to, push your album back a week. You know, if, if you brought it forward a week even. You know, I knew DJ Khaled announced his <laughs> yeah. album before Tyler, but just move your, your release date. Everyone does it. Everyone does it. Kanye created an entire five weeks to lock Drake out of June. Like, everyone freaking does it. It's petty. But if you care about number one albums so much, oh, it's just sad. And I don't know how he could possibly come back from this, honestly. I do. He's, like, who's going to, uh, people going to still work with him after this? I don't know. It's just. I'm so happy. He's exp- He's exposed himself. I called it. And I can't really think of anything else to say because I'm just gassed. I'm just gassed of how salty he is. <laughs> so you know good. what? It tastes good. Such... I'm sipping. <laughs> we're at such, we're at such different places. I'm at the place you were three, four weeks ago Mm-mm-mm. where you went on this rant. And I'm I'm in that space now. I'm like, DJ Khaled, what the hell? Now I want to get to your place. It sounds very peaceful and calm. It tastes so good. It tastes so good. The grass is green over here, Mr. Carter. And I kind of want to leave it on there because I just want to leave it on me being cocky. <laughs> so without further ado, that is the end of Digging in the Digits. I am Mr. Gast, and uh, <laughs> I am so gassed. Uh, next week, we are talking about the other side of the game, of the coin, the other side of the coin, which is the independence. And, I mean, we'll, we'll see We'll see how, how, much, uh, how many soapbox, mi- soapbox minutes uh, uh, Ben can get out of that. So, oh, we'll get there. We, so we, we look forward to that. And uh, with, that, uh, with that said, I have been the fifth element's Charlie Taylor. I've been Ben Carter from Hip Hop Numbers. And this has been Digging in Digits. Have a good week, everybody. We shall see you next time. Take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show, pizza and video games by bonus points. Thanks to Chill Hop Records for the ability to use. Socials for the fifth element, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and chill hop records will be in the description wherever you're listening. This has been a fifth element podcast network and hip hop by numbers collaboration. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits. <laughs>